Yasmin, who do you hope is listening to this podcast episode? Um, I'd probably have to say Harry Styles. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my mom. <laughs> Definitely my mom. <laughs> Welcome to the Tyler Loops Out of the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Jane Neal. And I probably made you afraid of dogs. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Sir, I heard you say grassy ass. <laughs> Tyler will always be my home. Let's begin. My guest today is Yasmin Khalifa. Yasmin is a senior at the University of Texas at Tyler, where she is studying mass communication and English. This is her second semester working as an engagement fellow for the Texas Tribune. She has worked as a reporting fellow at The Tyler Loop and as managing editor and newsletter editor at the Patriot Talon student newspaper. Yasmin speaks Arabic and is the founding president of the Keep Tyler Beautiful Youth Advisory Committee, a group of students working together to encourage beautification, litter reduction, and recycling in Tyler. She is ecstatic to be an audience intern for the Washington Post this summer. Welcome, Yasmin. Thank you. Let's take a listen to your story, presented live on stage in April 2019 at Liberty Theater in Tyler at Out of the Loop Season 1. My name is Yasmin Khalifa. I've lived in the same house at the corner of Reek and Copen my entire life. I'm a Tylerite through and through. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I'm Muslim. <laughs> Today, I will be sharing with y'all two stories about my experience in Tyler as a Muslim Egyptian woman. It was a relatively warm day years ago. I was a freshman or sophomore at Robert Lee High School. I don't remember which exactly. Some of the details are muddled, to be quite honest. I've tried to block out the memory, but the worst details remain. I was with my mom, who was then 50-something years old, and I won't say her exact age, or I'll know I'll get that flying flip-flop later. <laughs> She's an Egyptian mama with a heart of gold, but she doesn't take crap from anyone. <laughs> we were in a neighborhood Brookshire's off of Broadway, buying an assorted fruit platter to deliver to our family friends. Just like every other day, we were wearing our headscarves, which are a part of our religion. My mom's best friend had just undergone open-heart surgery. She was still in the hospital, and we wanted to bring the family sustenance that didn't come out of a vending machine. We grabbed the platter, headed back over to the checkout, and stood in line. The elderly woman ahead of us was buying what seemed to be a month's supply of food. It was going to be a while. As we were waiting, my mom and I began chatting about my day at Lee, where we were going to park when we arrived at Trinity Mother Francis, etc., etc. Halfway through our conversation, I noticed a little boy, no more than five or six years old, squeezing between my mom and the magazine stand. He assessed the glossy covers and then, one by one, pulled several off the racks and turned them over to their backsides. I noticed he only did this to the magazines featuring women in bikinis. I scrunched my eyebrows in confusion, now more aware of the little boy and his mother who stood directly behind us in line. The young boy returned to his mother and began pestering her, loudly asking, Mom, should we move lines? Let's move lines. Okay, now I was on high alert. I thought to myself, what's this kid's deal? I quickly got an answer. In an equally loud voice with spikes of irritation, 
the mother responded, no, we do not have to move lines. We have a right to be here because this is our country and we don't behead people here in America. <sighs> oh no, she didn't. <laughs> I whipped my head around, anger coursing through my veins, hands shaking, anxiety rising, hands balled into fists. I stared the woman dead in the eyes, my thoughts racing to find the words to fend myself and my mom. I thought I might throw up or have a panic attack. I want to turn away or fire back a retort or even hit the woman. But then I felt my mom's cold hand on my own snap me out of my rage. I immediately turned back around, tears welling in my eyes. I did nothing. I was frozen. Looking back, I probably would have said to the woman, ma'am, if Sam preaches love, not hate, so all I'm going to say is have a blessed day. Oh, and please tell your son that women's bodies are beautiful covered or uncovered. I can help whoever's next, I heard the cashier say over the sound of my heart beating in my ears. I bit my lip to focus on anything else as I placed the fruit platter on the conveyor. The cashier looked at my mom's stone-cold face and my tear-filled eyes and mouthed, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, the woman was not finished with her attack. You're going to hell. You're all going to hell. You disgust me. You're going to hell, you terrorists, she spewed. The cashier finally finished ringing us up. The woman didn't finish her tirade until the cashier said to my mom and me, have a nice day. Finally, my mom and I speed walked out of the glass doors and the second the fresh air hit me, tears streamed down my face. The ride to the hospital was utterly silent. I didn't realize it in the moment, but my mom's hand on mine was a lesson to pick my battles. Sometimes not taking crap from anyone means putting on a stone cold face and not giving the person the satisfaction of a reaction. Like my dad has always said, you can't fix ignorant. <laughs> Fast forward about three years to February 2nd, 2017. Three days prior on January 28th, a mosque in Victoria, Texas was set on fire. Prosecutors called it a simple, straightforward case of hate. Then, the next day, on January 29th, six people were killed in a terrorist attack at a Quebec mosque. But here in Tyler, over 200 people of all different faiths showed up that night to the local mosque, the East Texas Islamic Society, to show their support for Muslims. They brought yellow flowers, a symbol of friendship, and kind notes that filled up an entire table. The event was initiated by a Facebook group called Tyler Supports Their Muslim Neighbors by Jen Katz and Sheila Thrash. <laughs> Religious leaders of all different faiths, like Rabbi Neil Katz, came together to show Muslims that they are not alone. I couldn't make it that night because I was at home sick, but as I watched the Snapchats my friend sent me, I couldn't help but cry. This time, they were tears of joy. 
Growing up here in Tyler, I felt much hate and ignorance targeted towards Muslims. Like the time a pack of male students stopped me on a sidewalk at Lee and asked me if I could bomb any building in the United States, which would it be? Or the time my mom was called a terrorist at the Tyler Pounds Airport. However, the instances of hate should not overshadow the acts of love that are demonstrated nearly every day in small and big ways. Like when a teacher stepped in and chased off that pack of boys for me. Still, sometimes I feel choked by the weeds of racism and Islamophobia. They can even grow up the walls of a neighborhood Brookshire's. It is a vine, a weed, that does not belong in a town that is heralded for its beautiful lawns, rose gardens, and azalea trails. Tyler has been my home for 20 years. I have friends here and endless memories. Still, there are moments my short summers spent in Egypt feel more like home. There, I blend right in. For once, I'm in the majority. No stares at my headscarf, no anxiety about what a trip to the grocery store will entail. However, Tyler will always be my home. I'm connected to the city, and I will keep fighting to make it more inclusive. Tyler needs people like me to show up, people who resist racism and insist on fighting for every member of this community to feel valued, fighting to squash the stares, the demeaning tones of voice, and the attitudes of superiority. So, will Tyler become a field of weeds or an oasis of yellow flowers? Yasmin, when you open your story, you identify as four things. Tylerite, followed by... Muslim Egyptian woman. Unpack those identities for us. I think at one point I would have unpacked those identities separately and really tried to compartmentalize them and emphasize their differences. Like I talk about in my story, I never really felt like I could claim one singular identity. I never felt American enough or Egyptian enough. I didn't feel like enough of an East Texan or a Tylerite. But now I realize no one gets to define my identity for me. I'm not only enough of an Egyptian or enough of a Tylerite and all of those things, but I'm also all of those at once. You know, when I'm out picking up good old-fashioned barbecue from a local shop, and really quick side note here, I know this is controversial, but I'm team bodacious barbecue all the way. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, Stanley's lovers. When I'm picking up barbecue from a local shop, it reminds me of the time me and my mom froze barbecue from Bodacious and took it with us halfway across the globe to Egypt for my family to try. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very much uh, a case of you can take the girl out of Tyler or Egypt, but you can't take those things out of the girl. All those identities kind of comprise the fabric of who I am. Oh, I love that. (laughs) As we get into the main event of your story, there's this young boy. His behavior is a little confusing, and as you've had time to reflect, what do you make now of that kid and his mom? Uh, I think it all goes back to that notion that hate is taught. That little boy wasn't born wanting to stay away from people who wear headscarves or look like they might be Muslim. He had to be taught those things, and from the words coming out of the mom's mouth, she knew very little about my culture or religion, but what she did know came from the rhetoric that arises after a terrorist attack. 
from my experience, the Muslim community is largely ignored until something bad happens nationally and then all of a sudden the word Islam is immediately brought up. So that's all the moms seem to know or be taught about Muslims and kind of pass that ignorance down to her son. And that's why I think it's so important for me to continue to make myself seen and heard and break that stigma because I think once people see I'm just another Texan who loves barbecue and wants to be accepted, they'll realize these barriers people put up don't really mean anything. They're just kind of made up. Mm. No, we do not have to move lines. We have a right to be here because this is our country and we don't behead people here in America. Those were the words of the woman in front of you in line, and unfortunately, they were followed by a storm of hateful language directed at you and your mom. But I found myself re-listening to this one part, we have a right because this is our country. Almost two years after you originally told this story, have you experienced her phrase as a common refrain in national and local mindsets and behaviors? Yeah, definitely. I think that mindset is even more prevalent now in these, and I'll use that word, we all love unprecedented times. If you look at any issue we're facing right now, whether it's coronavirus or masks, immigration, the hate crimes um, that we see against Asian Americans right now, um, whatever it may be, those issues often get turned from human rights issues or health and safety issues into uh, more political debates. You know, I'm an engagement journalist, so I write a lot of like servicey stories, how to get help, those types of things. And mm-hmm. um, I've had someone say that my writing shouldn't be trusted because I'm anti-American, kind of implying that the only place they would have got that is from my name or from my photo. So I do think that those mindsets and behaviors are still, you know, very re- prevalent right now. Alive and well. Mm-hmm. There are moments my short summers spent in Egypt feel more like home. There, I blend right in. For once, I'm in the majority. No stares at my headscarf, no anxiety about what a trip to the grocery store will entail. Is this still true for you? As you are experiencing Tyler now as a young adult, has that feeling of not blending in or about Islamophobia, has it changed any? I think it'll always be a concern in the back of my head just because of some of the things I've experienced, like I talk about in my story. But it's much less of an immediate concern now with how much and how quickly Tyler's growing. I think there will always be people who who will give strange or dirty looks, but I try not to focus on those instances and focus more on um, a lot of that progress that's being made. You say... You will keep fighting to make Tyler more inclusive and that Tyler needs people like you. And I never fail to not shed tears at that part in your story. Big tears. (laughs) Where are you finding people like you? And from where do you see Tyler's great hope emerging? Yeah, well, I know it's kind of cliche, but honestly, just among young people, especially on campus, I attend the University of Texas at Tyler, I think. In the four short years that I've been there, I've seen so much growth in the campus's community and the diversity there. I feel like almost every week there's like a new organization or club or event that pops up that's put on by a group of people who is just wanting to encourage inclusion or educate students and on, you know, 
a certain topic or about a certain group of people in some way or another. And so I really do see that happening among Tyler's youth and on the college campuses here. Does that community at UT Tyler feel like a little bit of a bubble or in contrast to the rest of what you see in Tyler? Those groups, they often are just kind of in that bubble on campus, but I see them now kind of branching out beyond campus and kind of doing those events and having like different things outside in the community kind of to make themselves a little bit more seen and more heard beyond that bubble. And so I do think that those ideas that are like being shared on campus are seeping out into the community and it's becoming less of a bubble. Mm. What do you wish people in Tyler understood better when they see you and other Muslims wearing headscarves or speaking Arabic as you're out and about? Honestly, just that those people are Tylerites just like them. At the end of the day, we all love that time of the year when the azaleas bloom and we can all drive into downtown and see all the beautiful flowers lining the brick roads. And we all love those East Texas sunsets and all the little things that make this town special. We all have our own opinions and cultures and religions and all the things that make us unique and different. But that's true for any mix of people anywhere in the world. Is there anything else important for you to bring in? Yeah. Since I participated in the Loop Storytelling Show, I've had people come up to me and be like, oh, are you the yellow flowers girl? <laughs> like that exact <laughs> phrase. <laughs> and some people have told me that my story opened their eyes to things that they just didn't realize happened here in Tyler or just in the world in general. And that's really made me realize the value and importance of telling our stories. Everyone has a story worth sharing and If it can open one person's eyes to something they hadn't considered, I think that's really valuable in overcoming ignorance and just understanding one another better. Yeah. Before we got started today, we we were kind of reminiscing about the process of telling your story. Did it shift anything for you to write it, to tell it, and, and to get the feedback from it? Yeah. When I was thinking about the stories and experiences that I've had here in in Tyler that process of like f- pulling out what i thought was like most valuable to share was kind of difficult I, it was hard to kind of like flesh out like what i thought was important to share it really like made me realize like how much of an impact those things had on me mm-hmm. you know actually writing those stories that story down and like saying it out loud whenever I was on stage I did not expect myself to like stop and cry and like just be so emotional about it but I think like actually like being able to verbalize what has happened in like my story made me feel the impact of those experiences more than I would have if if it stayed in my brain forever and was never shared so yeah it's definitely had an impact on me and it's made me reflect on my experiences a lot more. And I think it's really helped me grow. Silence can mean so many things. There are many different qualities of silence. And I remember as you got into your story and told us what this woman in line said, you could hear a pin drop. And that always left me wondering, what does that silence mean? Are people surprised? Or are they embarrassed? You know, what is that coming from? And I think as you continued, people kind of um, stayed with you and it was able to land very impactfully. Mm -hmm. But there was that moment of hesitation like, oh, 
<laughs> this is difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like in the beginning of my story, there were definitely like jokes and things like that. But once it got to that point of the story, I think that silence was very deafening, and it might have been a moment of realization for a lot of people or a moment of reflection. Well, it's lovely talking to you. Your story is so valuable, and I'm so grateful for it. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, James. The Out of the Loop podcast was recorded at the Innovation Pipeline in downtown Tyler by Preston Hutto, with technical support from Neil Katz and Leah Wansley. Music is provided by the Tyler, Texas duo Gypsum and the Travelers. Out of the Loop is a production of The Tyler Loop, a nonprofit news and culture magazine and storytelling platform for Tyler and East Texas. We run on memberships from informed, engaged residents like you who value in-depth, inclusive reporting. Check us out at thetylerloop.com.